Welcome to the Battling Pickle Podcast. This is a space where I, Dr. John Westfall, put together little mini lectures and podcasts for my students. Battling Pickle is an homage to the institution that I teach at, which is Delta State University. One of our mascots is the fighting okra. I'm not as ferocious as an okra, but I do like pickles. So, what are we going to talk about this week? Well, I am continuing to look at the recommendations from the educational psychology students that I'm teaching in June of 2021. And one of the things that had been requested was how to work with uh, students who have experienced trauma, how trauma impacts students, um, and what you can do as an educator in order to deal with students who have experienced traumatic events. And this is a very large topic. This is not a topic I can do much with in a 10-minute podcast uh, in terms of solving all the world's problems, but I did find a few resources and some ideas that I wanted to put out there and bat around a little bit. And I will be putting the links to the two pieces of content that I'll be talking about, a book and an open um, report, basically an evidence-based practice guide uh, report that uh, we'll talk about. And they'll be on the show notes page for this podcast. So if you're ever curious about the podcast, uh, there's a show notes page on johnwestfall.com for each episode, or sometimes I put multiple episodes on the same show notes page. You can go there and I will link to these content uh, pieces. So, like I said, there are two things that I thought would be interesting to talk about today. The first is a book uh, that I think uh, has some strategies and solutions that you might want to look into. It's called The Trauma Doesn't Stop at the School Door, Strategies and Solutions for Educators Pre-K Through College. Uh, It was published just last year by Karen Gross through uh, Educators uh, Press at Teachers College at Columbia. And it provides sort of some of the exact things that I think um, the student that gave me the suggestion is looking for, actionable items. Um, You know, what is trauma? How do you identify it? Um, And what should educational institutions do uh, in terms of structure of everything from calendars to scheduling and addressing student behavior and disciplinary issues and physical space designs uh, and gives examples in the book that'll be helpful for that. So I'm I'm not going to give a full book review, but it is something that I think is, if you're looking for more information, that is the academic reference that I would point you toward. Uh, And just reading some of the reviews of the book and seeing the the contents, I think you'll find it's going to provide uh, that day-to-day sort of thing um, that perhaps you're looking for. Uh, But on a larger level, it is more interesting, I think, in some cases to think about what school districts and school administrators, especially if there's anyone listening that wants to go into school administration, you're going to not be necessarily dealing with the student with trauma on a regular basis, although that's going to be a very Uh, frequent thing. Perhaps if you're the disciplinarian at a school, you might be the one that has to deal with these students with trauma. But you're going to be setting up policies on how that trauma should be addressed in classroom structures, in the structures of your school. Uh, And perhaps you don't have time to read uh, a 200-page book on the subject. 
That's where uh, another resource that I found that I think is really interesting. It was just published earlier this year at the university or at Utah State University by a researcher, Emily Ross, and it's Trauma-Informed Practice in K-12 Schools, an evidence-based practice guide for school administrators. And I wanted to walk through some of her recommendations and really talk about how they might be applicable to the areas of social, or um, not social, but educational psychology. I guess social psychology will go in that too. Psychology in general, what does it say about some of these? So her first recommendation is educating your educators. Uh, this is not too revolutionary. That's why we take continuing education. That's why we have professional development. But I do think that in psychology, we are often fighting against, as she notes in her work, the, um, you know, stigma. You know, you're trying to normalize that trauma happens. And trauma has happened a lot in the last 18 months to a lot of different groups, more so than even it was before. But of course, that's cumulative onto the other traumas that these students are already experiencing. So building into your professional development curriculum throughout a year, not just actionable things related to the art of teaching, you know, how to use different methodologies, how to plan out new kinds of lessons, how to use different technology, but also really building in a psychology piece. Uh, maybe once a year or twice a year, your professional development focuses not on the nuts and bolts of teaching, but on the psychology of your students. And that, I think, will lead a lot of discussion. It'll lead a lot of growth. Uh, more so than just here's a cool new thing that we can try or a new standard we have to adopt or those sorts of things. And along that lines, part of that professional development can be what her second recommendation is, which is to standardize trauma screenings. This is something I don't think, I certainly don't recall this ever when I was uh, a student in K through 12. I don't recall this really being a discussion point that my uh, students that are teaching K through 12 talk about, but having some sort of early identification of trauma, some way to be able to screen that and get those students connected with resources that they need. Uh, we would never look to exclude them from activities based on that trauma or to treat them uh, in a way that would be, uh, you know, kind of making them stigmatized for that trauma. But at least knowing that there are certain people in my classroom by name that might have some issues with some of the content based on previous traumas. So a self-report screening from parents is one option. Um, students could also do a self-report student interviews. Sometimes we can wrap those interviews with other things that we want to do with students anyway. You know, a one-on-one -on -one conference with a teacher to talk about academic issues and where are you struggling, how can I help you, could also slip in a trauma screening of some sort. You know, tell me a little bit about your week. Tell me a little bit about how it is, how you're doing at home. We've talked about home visits, and home visits are one place where you get a ton of information about the potential traumas that your students are experiencing. And of course, these are not always active actor traumas. It's not like there's always someone there that's an abuser or someone there that is causing the trauma. In many cases, it can be passive where it's just a really stressful environment and the student is trying to, to deal with that. Her third recommendation is to reinforce resilience. You know, resilience is something we know is extremely protective. We know that it's something that causes students to be able to bounce back. We know kids are 
mostly resilient, uh, more so than even adults, it's hard to teach resilience. And while she notes in here that, you know, we are neuroplasticity is a thing and the brain can grow and reorganize, that isn't something that necessarily all students will pick up on their own. You can't necessarily teach resilience, but you can help to grow it in students. Um, schools have to be a place for that, a place where students can discuss those things and say, you know, this is how I'm dealing with it. Should I deal with it this way? Should I deal with it that way? How can we have that open line of communication? And that's really, I think, key. How do you teach resilience? You don't teach it, you facilitate it. You create an open line so that students can talk about it and can work through their problems together. Another recommendation that she makes that I think often we forget about is the consequences, being critical of the consequences that we use when we're disciplining students that have either the discipline creates a trauma or these students were already traumatized and our discipline isn't helping matters. Uh, some of the classic ways that we have disciplined students, we know hit students differently. So for example, when I was in school, I was not uh, in any way a troublemaker. I always joked that I caused trouble. I just never got caught. And there were certain issues that are certain ways of discipline that I know I personally would not have been able to shrug off as much as another student. So detention, for example. I knew kids that lived in detention. They were there every day for something or another usually very petty things, being out in the hall without a hall pass or tardiness to class, something like that. And if they got a detention, it rolled right off their back. You know, it was just an extra 20 minutes or 30 minutes a day. They had to sit somewhere, do nothing. And many of them probably enjoyed that because they, you know, got to do nothing for 30 minutes, which such a wonderfully horrible thing to, to, to do really when you think about it. Oh, you're going to sit here quietly for 30 minutes when you could be working on schoolwork or something like that. Hopefully detention has evolved a little bit uh, in some schools. But for me, I know detention would have been traumatizing. Uh, I was not a bad kid and you're lumping me in with these bad kids. And I probably, you know, if I broke a rule, it was probably by the letter of the rule, not the spirit. Uh, it would have been probably one of those things that could have caused a trauma more than just been a disciplinary action for a trauma. And I think as educators, we often you know, I get students that come to me very frustrated about violating a policy in class. And yeah, it's good to it's good to follow the policies. I don't put my policies in my syllabi because I want people to break them. But at the end of the day, you know, if your internet was out last night and you were going to work all night on something that isn't due until tonight and it put you behind and it's obviously not that you were waiting till the very last minute, I, I can cut you a little bit of slack there. You're not trying to violate the due date by spirit, you're violating it by just life has happened. Uh, and I think we need to be reminded sometimes that our disciplinary approaches need to evolve based not on a one-size-fits-all. Another recommendation that Ross makes is having a system of support in place, a school-wide system of trauma-sensitive intervention, having key individuals trained so that they know how to deal with those that have been in trauma, and really just um, having some level of training in social-emotional learning. Um, this is called SEL, as Ross points out. SEL programs uh, are 
successful. And they always have five key components, uh, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. If we can have those systems in place and we can have those uh, talked about and utilized, uh, we often are on a better path. And ironically, what you're gonna find with those systems, and this is something we see in the higher ed world uh, with different reporting mechanisms, is that if people can report it, if people can tap into those systems of support, you actually get a lot more use out of those systems. So, for example, uh, in the higher education world, we have Title IX legislation and Title IX regulations that we have to follow. Part of that is that people have to be able to report when they have been discriminated against or harassed based on gender, race, ethnicity, all of those things. And ironically, you might go to a school that says, well, we only had three Title IX cases all of last year, so we don't have a problem with discrimination and harassment. And yeah, it's possible that your individuals are just really great and they don't ever act up and there's never these things. But what's more likely is that that support system that is in place, students and faculty and staff don't know about it or they don't know what's gonna happen if they submit to it. If I submit a report, is it that I'm immediately gonna get called in for questioning and the person that I've identified, they're gonna get pulled out of class and they're gonna be thrown out of their dorm room. And, and what really happens after I submit that system report. I can see this in a K through 12 world being something that you would want to illuminate. You know, if you have a the equivalent of a BIT team, a behavioral intervention team at your K through 12 institution, which if you don't, be a good idea to start one. What happens when something goes to the BIT team? You know, and you talk with students about that and say, look, if you're experiencing these issues and you're afraid of what's going to happen if you tell a teacher or you tell someone about it, Here's exactly what does happen, you know. So-and-so, uh, you, you put in the report and it goes to so-and-so. And then so-and-so is going to read that report. They're going to reach out to you within a couple of days. They're going to ask to meet with you. They want to know more about it. They want to get to understand your situation to help you out. What isn't going to happen? Well, it's not going to happen that you submit this report and then five minutes later, someone's banging down the door and they're going to drag you out of class and they're going to drag someone else out of class. And we're going to have to have a big discussion. We're going to have to fix it immediately. And everyone's going to know that you did it and everyone's going to know that these things happened. That's going to be way more traumatizing than having a trauma-sensitive intervention team on board. So these five recommendations that Ross has, and I'll be, like I said, posting these in the show notes page, I think they provide a baseline for how do you deal with students that have had trauma and prevent future trauma. Uh, trauma is a hot issue right now in terms of discussion. It's a good thing that we're talking about it. Like I said, I think unfortunately over the last year, we've all experienced a bit more trauma than we were hoping to ever experience in our lives based uh, thanks to the pandemic. And I would encourage you to be thinking about trauma and how it can be adequately addressed in your classroom and in your institution. This has been an episode of the Battling Pickle podcast. As I mentioned at the top, my name is Dr. John Westfall. I'm an associate professor of psychology at Delta State University. And this 
podcast feed, wherever you found this episode, is the feed that I use for all of my classes in psychology, first year seminar, etc. And so if you enjoy this content, you can hear a wide variety of things. If you'd like to interact with the podcast, uh, we are hosted through Anchor.fm, so you can just go to Anchor.fm slash Battling Pickle slash message and send me a voice message and i'd love to include that and uh, hear from listeners whether you're in my class or not have an awesome day and i am glad that you spent some time with me